Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. So look at the words you use. Like, I can handle the emotional abuse and whatever it is. Like, yeah, and people might describe you as like, oh, no, she's awesome. She's tough would probably be a word. And you look at your career and the fact that you're competing against guys and in a sport that is, you know, all of the things, right? Like, that speaks to somebody whose persona has become, you know, very robust. But that doesn't speak to what's beneath it. When you recognize that you have feelings, right? And I'm not talking in a woo-woo kind of kumbaya, but you're a sentient being. You're a woman, Mm -hmm. you know, and an extraordinary woman Mm -hmm. and an accomplished woman and a caring woman. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. degree to which all of that gets kind Mm -hmm. of pushed to one side because you can handle the abuse. Mm -hmm. As I tell people, just because it's familiar doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's healthy. Right. Totally. Yeah. This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. Well, I have to say that this is definitely going to go down so far as the most vulnerable interview I've done, the most raw interview. And Peter Crone is the guest today. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but it was a huge episode um, for me, um, but also for, I think, just the collective experience, understanding, and witnessing of the human dynamic, the human emotion, what being human and perhaps what we're here to do looks like. Sometimes it's not always pretty. However, it's, uh, you know, Peter's belief and mine as well that we're here to grow and evolve. And growing and evolving requires looking at all aspects of ourselves to become healed and whole. Uh, but, But hopefully it will show you yourself in a way to know that this is part of the journey and it's okay to to go to these places that are are really vulnerable and raw and um and and step into your healing everyone has an opinion and especially when you're you know i find that when we start talking about foundational things like religion politics wet like how you treat your body, like all of those things that are really foundational. There's so much cognitive dissonance around shifting or changing their mind because to me, it's like it's the house of cards for them. If they have to think differently, choose differently, um, change their mind, what else does it, and so it's more of a subconscious thing, but what else does it imply? It's a direct threat to someone's identity. That's the trouble. Right. It's like, You know, I mean, I can go deep down the rabbit hole of any of those, but religion, for example, like which rubs people perhaps the wrong way, but no one on the planet is Christian. No one, right? They may subscribe to the tenets of Christianity. That's a very different, it's semantic, but it's a 
incredibly important because to me, why, why I'm not into religion so much is it tends to create diversity, right? It, it, it okay. creates division. And so when a baby's born, the baby doesn't even know its own name. It doesn't know its gender. It certainly doesn't know what religion apparently it ascribes to. So to declare that I am something, I am is the root, you know, that is the precursor to how we define ourselves. Right. So it's, it's not wrong. It's just inaccurate. You know, like to say, I'm Muslim, I'm Buddhist, I'm Christian. It's not wrong. It's just inaccurate. It's not a truth. But as uh-huh. soon as you become collapsed with it, it's no different than someone saying, I'm fat. That equally isn't true. Right. But as soon as you become identified with the words that follow the I am, then you think that's who you are and you're going to defend it, which is why, you know, there's so much bloodshed. So um, that's where I have issue with any of that. You know, whereas as soon as we declare something, certainly that has been uh, generational, like, you know, if your parents were this and that, whatever it might be, your parents mm-hmm. could be overweight and now I'm overweight. Like it doesn't have to be specific to religion. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever we inherit in the way that we define ourselves then anything that is in contrast to that or conflict to it is going to meet resistance. And that's where it gets ugly. So what is the correct use of I am? Well, it's about as far as you can go. <laughs> Asking I the am. question? No, just I am. Like, that's it, right? Like, it, it's, I mean, we're going down deep here. But when I really got that I am, what more do I need, was one of my quotes, right? So I, I'm sure you're familiar with my work. That's how it comes through me is these short quotes and insights and uh-huh. I, I really got to the point of where I shedded so many of the different levels of who I thought I was and all uh-huh. the different layers of my particular persona uh-huh. that I got to I am what more do I need and within I am is everything which of course it starts to become esoteric but I am nurse is consciousness God love whatever you want to call it to me the absolute so I am is all potentialities then we declare who we are on top of that. So that's why I love, you know, working with actors over the years because they do this for a, a career, right? They they pretend to be somebody. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks wasn't gay and dying of HIV, but he played that in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So he could say, I am whatever his character was, Michael. But he knows when he goes home that he's straight and he's married and apparently not dying of AIDS, right? So he's pretending. The trouble is the persona that we take on from a very young age is still a pretense. It's just we do it for three, four, five decades. So we think that's who we are as opposed to remembering, no, I'm all, pos- I'm all possibilities. But I've declared myself in such a way and often it's not a choice. It was something that was given to me. You're being told by a parent. You're being told by a teacher. This is who you are. You're a failure. You're not good enough. And then we adopt that and that becomes the mental prison that then people live in the, for the majority of their lives. So, Well, I like to pull both sides of the spectrum, right? So you've got the I am a victim. I mm-hmm. am sick. I am, you know, miserable. I am fat. I am ugly. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I am Danica. Mm-hmm. But could we not reframe this in a way that is of equal strength and power in a positive way, like I am well. I mean, I feel actually, I feel so, it feels so Wayne Dyer right now. Right. Um, the I am that I am discourses or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think is a book maybe you wrote. Um, but I am well, like I am happy, I am successful, like I am peaceful. Yeah. Can we not use it the other? Is there a way to use I am? A hundred percent. That's just the root, you know? So for sure, this is. You know, my work is dissolution. I don't say I solve people's problems, I dissolve them. So what I'm dissolving is the, 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 the current attachment to the I am that tends to, to veer towards the derogatory, the deleterious, the negative, the limited. But then, yes, mm-hmm. once you remove that, you step back into 
what we could say is this realm of all opportunities, pure potential. And then through declaration, we get to say something else. So yes, I am extraordinary. Like one of my favorite athletes who actually is just, he's an MLB player. We worked together for six seasons. He had five, six all-stars in a row, just incredible success. And it was just so fun to work together. He took a couple of years off and he just, I spoke to him this morning. So he's asked to work with me again this season. And one of my favorite conversations with him, he was, he was pretty relentless as an athlete, super disciplined, incredibly determined. And one of the words that we played with as a declaration was unstoppability. What does that look like? Because especially in baseball, it's a game of failure, right? Like three out of 10 and you're an all-star. Like that's, that's not good ratio, right? To be 30% and yet you're an all-star speaks to how much failure there is in the game as a hitter. So anyway, I asked him the question. I said, so what, why are you unstoppable? And then he came up with, you know, all of these incredibly valid responses. Well, you know, I'm, I'm dedicated. I put in the work. Reasons that justified being unstoppable. But because of the virtue, by virtue of our conversation and how I worked with him, I said, well, those aren't wrong. They're not inaccurate. But what I'm asking you to look at is you're unstoppable because you say so. And he still to this date cites that conversation. He's like, wow, like it's a declaration of who I be, who I am that is the container that I step within that shows up the discipline and the dedication and the professionalism. It's not because of those things. I declare myself to be unstoppable and then I honor my word, which is really the power of language. So why I use the expression Mm. words of the wardrobe for the soul. Mm. So our soul is limitless, but by virtue of the words we use, it will contain whatever is potential. It will create the limitations, invariably because most people's words are, like you said, limited. But once we remove that constraint, then we get to declare words that are more expansive. So for me, I say like I'm, I'm the luckiest human being on the planet. Now, where's the evidence for that other than my declaration to it, which then becomes sure. self-fulfilling? It's really it pulls for the, yeah. the opportunity to, for me to vibrate and feel at a certain level. Mm-hmm. But then also the magic of how life can show up by virtue of that frequency that I hold because of the declaration I make. How's yeah, that? words are yeah, <laughs> words are words are spells. Spelling, it's yes. in the it's in the word spelling. Abracadabra. Abracadabra, isn't that what it, isn't it? What That's is it? the the Hebrew translation. As I speak, so I create magic. I just got back from Egypt, so I feel like totally true. Yeah. Why? It seems so much easier, and I'm speaking from experience. Mm-hmm. It seems so much easier, or at least much more routine. To judge, let's just even say myself. Yeah. And speak negatively. Like, yes. you know, untethered soul, I think it was, was like, you'd never be friends with your inner, your inner self. Like the the things that you say to yourself, like, would you ever be best friends with that person? No, we're so hard on ourselves. Right. Um, why the heck are we programmed like that? Or is this are we pro- I mean, why are we hard on ourselves? Why would we do that? It's a great question. I get it in different iterations of that, I would assert it's because that's the dimension we're in, right? So for me, from my perspective, because looking at the deepest level of who we are, are these limitless spiritual energetic beings, and we've manifest into this physical meat suit on a place called (laughs) planet Earth, why did we come here? Because we had karma to resolve. And the karma being limitations, fears, perceptions of inadequacies. And life, again, one of my favorite quotes that a lot of people share is, 
life will present you with people and circumstances to reveal where you're not free. A hundred percent. So you're always going to attract whatever it is that you need in order to be that subtle sort of form of resistance and sloughing to be able to remove the constraints that currently inhibit the limitlessness of your soul. Right. And this paradigm is perfect for that. So the language that we use that you cite is derogatory by virtue of the fact that's still how we look at ourselves. Hmm. And it's flip, it's, it's twofold. So that's how we incarnate. Like I say, we arrive with our bucket of fears and the game is who can get rid of them the first, you know, the quickest. And then you become an inspiration for other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. But really it's also without the constriction of self-judgment or self-criticism, you don't actually have to learn the language of love. See, it's easy to love the parts of you that you love. It's easy to love the parts yeah. of you that you like or that you find attractive. But love that is, is able to embrace all of the parts of you that you think are ugly is love. See, love doesn't distinguish between forms. And so going back to how we sort of prior to this was talking about love, love that is based on, you know, well, you do what I want you to do, then I love you. That's, that's not love. That's conditional. That's yeah. preference. Yeah. So ironically, by virtue of the fact that we have these narratives and the dialogues about ourselves that are derogatory, then that part of us is actually the conduit to which we get to manifest what real love is, which is being able to embrace all parts. Do we actually ever experience anyone else or do we only really actually experience ourselves and our wounds, our triggers, our insecurities, our judgments, our are, do we only ever experience ourselves? I know like, that's like I'm actually jumping into a concept that's probably a little too complicated mm-hmm. if you haven't even like gone there as far as mirroring, triggers, projections, wounds, tra- like right. So maybe we should like back it up before I ask that question. Do we ever actually experience anyone else and like unpack the human experience? Mm-hmm. Okay, and well, that could pro. take a while. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the first part of your question is powerful. It's, you know, we could argue, it depends how deep you want to go, that it's all us. All the way. I want to go all the way. Okay, <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> is this, is Good. this an R-rated It's important podcast? to make, yeah, we say whatever the hell we want. It's important to make jokes along the way when we're yeah. saying really big words and talking about really big concepts because yeah. it is humanizing and relatable. Really big things. <laughs> Uh, yeah. She said that too. <laughs> yeah, she did. Um, self-declared. Um, so <laughs> we rip away. <laughs> so yeah. So I guess it, it, words are so imperative. Like so, for you to say, "Do we really experience anybody else?" We could say, "Well, what do you mean by do we really experience?" Right. And this is where I think love and relationships, which is something I've spoken to a lot recently, is so. It's so imperative to understand because if in order to be truly connected with somebody, you have to know how to listen. And most people don't know how to listen because they're listening through a filter of self-protection. So invariably, most people aren't able to be with another person fully because by virtue of their brain, which is designed to predict and protect because it's a survival mechanism, then invariably what's actually happening at a deeper subconscious level is we're looking out for anything that could be a perceived threat. And now perceived threat doesn't have to be someone running at us with a knife or a saber-toothed tiger. It could be somebody saying something that is in conflict with our belief structures. So then we feel the need to defend. Now what's actually happening in that interaction is you're not hearing what they're saying. You're hearing your ears work. You hear the sound. But what it is, it's coming up against 
something that is so primal in the way that you relate to yourself and life that it feels like it's a threat. At that mm -hmm. moment, there's no connection, there's no relationship. And this is why most right. relationships don't work because right. people don't actually listen, particularly, sadly, the men. Uh, women are much better at that and holding space for each other. So I think the only way that you could truly get close to experiencing somebody else is when you really understand what it means to listen. And listening is similar to, it's an akin to love because you're holding space for someone to have their reality regardless of whether you agree with it, condone it or get it or understand it, it doesn't matter. You're understanding that that's their current reality and it's transitory, right? Like I was in Hawaii doing a retreat predominantly women and this one mum, very sweet, she said, you know, how do I help my son who's always speaking negatively about himself and especially as it relates to his older brother. He kept saying, you know, I'm never going to be as good as Jimmy and and um, she would. She went on to say, you know, I'm telling him he's all his attributes, all of his skills, like, no, but you're amazing and you're this and you're kind and you're that. And sure. I said, but you're not listening to him. And, you know, it was quite conf confronting for her for me to just be that blatant with her. Yeah. And I she said, she's doing it right. Right. She's being a mom and she loves her son. And I got it. I understand her reality, but it's a superimposition of her view on top of his, mm -hmm. which is a form of demand and, and manipulation. Um, so she, she was amazing. She was such a trooper. And I said, so I just want you to consider your son is saying what he's saying. And that's his reality. Now, I understand you don't want him to hang out in this world of demise and insufficiency. But that is his reality. And the degree to which you're not meeting him there is the degree to which it's being perpetuated. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, my God. And, and she said, you know, what's funny? He's always telling me I don't listen. <laughs> I said, well, apparently he's pretty astute, you know. So she but it was so powerful. She had a tear in her eye because I said, listen, I, of course, with you want him to feel a sense of worth and to, for his perception relative to his brother to be enhanced and so that he doesn't feel inadequate. But until such time that you honor somebody's reality for where they are right now, there is no shift. There is no transformation. So she really got it. And she said, wow, that's so powerful. Then you can get into his world, which would be the closest to getting to experience somebody and say, well, why do you feel that? Where did that start? What happened? Versus you superimposing your view on someone else's. You, she got to have the opportunity to understand why he felt that way. Mm -hmm. At the end of our interaction, she was really sporty. And, you know, everybody got so much from it in the group, which is often the case when I'm working with someone one on one. Sure. I said, here's my invitation to you. Go meet your son. And that's when the, you know, the tears really started rolling because she loves him, but she hadn't really met him. Where he's at. The being. Yeah. You know, so, and she sent me a beautiful email a couple mm. of uh, weeks after. She's like, you know, our relationship is night and day. Like, wow. just What do we do with someone who, um, like when we look at attachment styles mm -hmm. and you look at someone who, especially if they're avoidant and you know, you want to have a conversation, you start asking questions and you're curious and you really want to get to know them, but they don't share. Because I feel like that's a, right? There's, yeah. Would, would it be safe to say that people generally fall into like either anxious or avoidant? Like either they really jump in and want the information kind of airing on the codependent side to avoidant and disassociative and more internal? Is that... Or maybe you yeah. should tell me, like you're, you're the expert, what, what kind of styles of communication are out there? I mean, the myriad. And I think it, it really speaks more to the person who's listening than the person who's speaking. So by that, I mean, you know, life pulls for something, right? Like we tend to be more reactors than anything as human beings. So 
Yeah, I was on a flight. I went to speak to 100 CEOs in Austin last week. And getting on the flight, it's fascinating to watch the human behavior of people walking on. They see an attendant who's got a, ba a basket of these sanitizer wipes. And it's like, you know, whack-a-mole. I, I watched that video you posted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, I, without being judgmental, it is nonetheless fascinating to see that what happens is a hand comes out with a sanitizer towel. That calls for, that pulls for somebody to grab something. Right. Right. Now, of course, there's a back context here of fear and this is bad and, you know, which is all exacerbating what is a survival instinct for any human being. But it pulls for. So why that correlates to your question is, who are you as an individual that pulls for somebody to be withdrawn or more self-expressed? And, and I can remember talking to one of my managers for an MLB team and we had a little incident in the clubhouse when one of our sort of all-star pitchers spoke to the media about a subject that was clearly really meant to be in-house, you know, sort of in the confines of the locker room. And so the manager was kind of pissed, you know, and upset that this had now gone through a journalist and was sort of out there in the public domain. And so he was looking directly at the pitcher from the perspective of judgment and criticism, like he is the cause of my suffering and my frustration, which is mm -hmm. how most people react to life, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm upset because of what they did or what happened, sure. which is all the illusion. And I said, okay, well, I understand where you're coming from and I get that you're upset, but can I ask you a few questions so I could get into his world, right? So I'm listening. He's like, sure. I said, tell me a little bit about your relationship with the pitcher. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, to what degree do you think you hold a space that is safe and open and inviting for him to come to you. And, you know, he was, kudos to him, he was honest. He said, well, we don't have the best relationship. And, you know, and I cited a couple of intra, uh, altercations they'd had early in the season. He's like, yeah, I mean, I was pretty hard on him and whatever. And I said, so could you see that perhaps when it relates to a topic that for him is heartfelt because it was a sensitive issue, where is your role in recognizing that he felt more comfortable talking to a journalist than he did to you? And that's where he became a better manager at that moment. I said, mm -hmm. so maybe your opportunity is to use this as a catalyst to see that perhaps as a leader, which you are as the manager of this clubhouse, your capacity to listen isn't as great as perhaps you might proclaim it to be. And you can clean it up with him and say, hey, thank you for showing me that I perhaps am not the greatest listener for you and I'd like to change that. So then he became a better leader. So with regards to people being withdrawn, we could say more depressed or somebody being overly verbose or anxious, I would say, yes, some of that's generated by virtue of their conditioning, but it's also based on the environment they're speaking into. And so that's where people really have some say in the way that a relationship goes, because we often think, well, the relationship I have with that person is over there with them, you know, whether they're a nice person or a bad person or however you want to declare it. But the relationship is actually with us because the way we view someone is the container within which we communicate to them. So if you're like, oh, Bob, he's awesome. You know, it's like you talk to Bob from a position of like, that's a human being who's awesome. If, you know, Mary is a pain in my ass, then you speak to Mary from that position. But the relationship of Mary exists within our own perception. Right. So that's where you start to see, and this goes back full question, uh, you know, full circle to your point about like, how do we experience everyone? Well, <laughs> right. it's all us, you know? So like, you're right. awesome because, you know, that's how I see you, which is really me. So I'm awesome. <laughs> right. That we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. <laughs> exactly. 
So yeah, it gets it gets it gets pretty deep. I like that we've gone there straight away here. Yeah, for sure. That's Excuse where me, we, sniffling. That's where, we, that's where we go. It's a little chilly out cold. here. And people don't know, but I'm sitting on a heating pad. My butt's kind of tingly. It's like the, um, it's like a Dumb and Dumber when he's like, you yeah. know, here, my hands are kind of sweaty. Take these extra gloves. He's like, like you've had two I'm gloves. sitting on the back of the bike. <laughs> this I'm whole like, time. What does this mean? What does this say about our relationship? And where's the love? Like, you know, like I'm cozy. <laughs> like, you're fine. <laughs> Some true. invitation. We've been it? a real dick to our guests. I we, guess. we haven't. We haven't started. Our I'll relationship swap spots with you if you no, want. No, I'm kidding. Okay. I'll All keep... right. My butt's kind of hot though. <laughs> I've, I've read that article. I think <laughs> she's got a hot butt. I haven't made that to That's those. Did, I haven't got to the dizzy heights of that yet. Oh my god. Um, I want to <laughs> talk about listening because, like. Okay. There's got to be more rules to it, right? Because there's mm -hmm. one thing of just sort of listening. Yeah. But I can just sit here and listen to you talk the whole time and say, I listen to you. Yeah. Okay. But there's got to be more participation than that to being a good listener, right? There's got to be more to it than just sitting there and listening. Is it repeating back? Is it asking more questions? Is it like how, what is it, what is a good listener? So, no, it's a great question. I would just subtly change again because of words and we're being specific. There's, it's, you don't got to do anything, right? Because got to, have to, should, supposed to, must, all of those words carry resistance. Like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do, oh, I got to finish my homework and I must do this and I got to, like none of those words are empowering. Like mm -hmm. they're all disempowering. Sure. So there's no got to. And I would say that if you're listening from a position of that, then you've already put a barrier because it's sort of an implied like task. Now I, I have to listen to my mother-in-law or I should, you know, I have to listen to my boss. So I would sort of get rid of any resistance first of all, and it wants to be a, an action of love, I would say. Yeah. And that would be one of the undercurrents that is imperative in order to be powerful listening is that not only am I hearing like the, the physics of my, my, my ear sensing sound, but I'm getting what you're saying. That would be the the deeper undertaking, which is to really get, you know, because you could start telling me about something that's troubling in your life right now. And if I didn't have the undercurrent of sympathy, empathy, or the ability to relate to that, then I might be hearing what you're saying, but I'm not really understanding the depth of your own pain. So listening is where it's a container, a safe space where I'm also understanding the depth of your reality. It could be joy, it could be misery, it could be heartache, it could be grief. And of course, I get to do this a lot because people are telling me whatever's going on in their life and invariably, invariably, if they're coming to see me, it's because things are a bit pr problematic. It's not always the case. Like, you know, a lot of my athletes and high performers are thriving, but they know they could go to another level. So it's not necessarily something like some malaise or the, the life isn't this dark place. But to be able to really get like the the depth of despair that people feel like really understand how scared someone is like that would be sort of listening x right that would be listening like where you really are holding space embodying in your own experience the degree to which you can somebody else's reality that's connection that's that's resonance so putting yourself there to some degree to really to embody mm. means to feel it right yeah. so going to a place where you felt fear or you felt sad yeah to be able to re relate to them at that level of emotion and that's where we talk about empathy and sympathy and i think that also comes with um maturity right it would be very difficult 
my mom died when I was seven, it's going to be very difficult for me as a seven-year-old to have empathy for my dad's experience of losing his wife, you know, because I don't have the wherewithal, I don't have the bandwidth to understand. I haven't gone through my own grief of someone who I love dying, of course, my mom, but at seven, I don't process that as a seven-year-old. So, and I think that's also where there's a lot of compassion with somebody's inability to listen. Like, that's just where they're at, you know, and that's a hard pill to swallow when you're in a relationship that Mm. perhaps where somebody is evolving and they're a better listener and perhaps their partner isn't so good. But it also might just point to the fact that maybe they haven't had so many experiences on the sort of the tapestry of human emotions so that they're unable to relate fully to what someone's going through. So when you go through experiencing a new emotion, as you said, they maybe haven't experienced that before. Are you remembering how it feels or are you actually getting the feeling for the first time? Let me back up by saying as a as a as a concept, I believe that we kind of we are everything. Mm -hmm. We are the universe within outside. so, So within, so without as above, so below, we're the whole thing. Yeah. So it's more about remembering the feeling of familiarity and that it, we have we have it inside of us, which is why we can feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, so do we actually have to get the, ex- like, how do we get there? How do we, like, you know what I mean? How do we get to relate to someone? Do we actually have to have the experience? Um, no, I think that could be helpful in terms of a visceral experience, but it can be just purely like the sentience, the understanding, the resonance of it. Mm-hmm. So I think it is a remembrance, right? Like, and I think one of the reasons we have the world of se- perceived separation and diversity is that, you know, going deeper again, like, what is consciousness, right? Like, so one of my quotes. I love that we're just getting straight into the deep stuff. I say, you know, the seeker is the sort, right? Like, which people are going to have to, like, S-O-U-G-H-T, not S-O-R-T. Okay, I was like, the sort, I'm like trying to imagine. The seeker is the sort. So what that... Oh, the sort. The sort. The sort. Whatever. (laughs) I'm English, English, darling. English, English. Proper English. Proper English. The Queen's English. English. Austin Powers English. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Uh, the, The seeker is the sort. So what does that mean? So... You know, the essence of who I am is that which I seek. So we could say that consciousness is just wanting to know itself. But, and, and I had this as an actual experience when I was in my little rent control apartment in Santa Monica. This is, you know, prior to sort of what I could say was a big shift. I don't want to call it my awakening. That sounds very pretentious, but where I at least shifted gears in the way that I related to myself as a human being. I was just going for a run or I'd just come back from a run. And I was leaning up against the wall, stretching one of my calves. So, you know, my foot was back. You've done this, I'm sure, many times. And so my face is close to the wall. So I get a little bit of an angle and I'm stretching my Achilles. And by virtue of the fact that my face was so close to the the wall, I felt a little disoriented because there was no perspective. There was no point of relativity. And a lot of people experience this when they ski or snowboard, when the clouds are low and it sort of merges into the same tone of the Mm. snow and you don't have any sort of point of perspective. Mm. There's no depth perception. Mm -hmm. And it becomes very disorienting, even nauseating. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, as I was stretching, it just gave me the epiphany of my own quote that without diversity, we don't know oneness because oneness doesn't have an experience. 
And this is why it's so beautiful that it's set up this way. And it looks like you might have just got something or you're about to sneeze. No, or no, you've like got stomach cramps. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> or your butt's too processing. hot. <laughs> I, I have to process internally. Yeah. Going so so one nurse, if you really get it, like and people often, especially here in LA in the spiritual groups are like, oh, we're all one. I'm like, yes, but like oneness doesn't actually know an experience without the we. So that's where I got that moment of like, wow, when I'm up against the wall and everything, for whatever reason, it was a rent control apartment, why the paint was so beautifully uniform, I have no idea, but it was by virtue of the fact that clearly my soul called in that experience that I could go, wow, if there isn't any relativity, then there is no relationship. If there's no relationship, there's no experience. And so oneness by virtue of its nature doesn't know itself. So it's created, again, Mm -hmm. this is just my declaration, Mm -hmm. It's created diversity so that through you and through another, I get to experience. So now to come full circle to your question, it is by virtue of relativity that I know myself. And so experience is all there, but I get to witness it perhaps through another who can display it in a way that I wasn't available to do so at this time. Yeah. Is that deep enough for you? I love that. Yeah. I love that. And, and the fact that like I was like hitting that moment because duality and oneness are something that I've thought a lot about in the last sort of six six to eight months. And mm-hmm. in my own personal experiences of further and further at the ends of the spectrum, which I felt like duality was just sep- separate events, different things. Yeah. They're of the same whole, mm-hmm. meaning like I was always in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Like I was experiencing more things in other ends of the spectrum. And it almost was like as far as much as, as much more pain as I was feeling, I was feeling as much more joy. Yes. And it was like as I marched further and further with experiences further out in each direction, I'm still in the middle. And I'm like, wow. And then I realize it's all a circle. It's all the same. Yeah. Which is why the, you know, the beautiful image of yin and yang, right? So mm-hmm. that that represents duality, black mm-hmm. and white, male and female, mm-hmm. but it's contained within the circle, which is the oneness. Yeah. So and which is why and it can't know itself. I mean, there's also another thing, like listening to Alan Watts. Like, you know, you he was talking about this in one of his one of the talks that I listened to, and it was like, you have to have the other one. You can't know it without the other one. Yeah. You can't know it without the black, without the white, without the joy and the pain and so why is it such a screwed up system where we have to (laughs) why why we have to be there what is like what is the point i guess essentially like what's the point of uh, us and it sounds like our dimension our existence our incarnation into earth and this meat suit and you know is it to experience the duality to realize oneness is or what what is the point because if oneness can't be necessarily realized because it's the whole mm-hmm. what the heck are we doing and is that just supposed to be should we just accept we got to accept that it's going to go up and down or side to side but it's See what I'm saying? Like, no, no, I get it. I think you articulate it pretty nicely, which is it is through the duality that we get to recognize the oneness, not necessarily by you know, a visceral direct experience, although that is also possible, but I think by virtue of what we're not, right? In Buddhism, they use the expression neti neti, which is not this, not that. So it's always this sort of removal, this discarding, this reconciliation, which is why I use the expression, I dissolve problems, I don't solve them. Most people have a problem, they go and see an expert. 
you know, a psychiatrist, a doctor, a psychologist, a spiritual teacher, and invariably whether their anxiety, their addiction, their depression, their finance issues, their relationship issues, the conversation becomes about the issue and then you come up with strategies and solutions which is only perpetuating the belief that the person has a problem in the first place. Whereas what I'm pointing out is the problem only exists by virtue of the fact that you think you are a somebody and that somebody is founded in these deep narratives of inadequacy and security and scarcity. And if we were able to reconcile those and disintegrate the idea of yourself, then the problem that belongs to the persona you think you are equally just disappears. I'm not sure I could put the it better. The end though. of that. <laughs> Let's re say that again a little slower. <laughs> and people in the back. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Dissolving the self. Yes. Okay. So I would assert that that really is to go back to your question. The reason we're here, we're manifest in physical form, like spiritual beings having a human experience. We become identified with this narrative that we declare to be ourselves, similar to what we were saying about I am a religion, I am this, and they're not truths. Even saying I'm depressed, not a truth. And so the, the reconciliation of that identity is true freedom. When people mm. ask me about my main product, which is freedom, they're like, well, mm. what do you mean by freedom? Mm. What I'm speaking to is the, dis, uh, the disassociation, the reconciliation, the removal of and the, the, the discarding of the idea of myself. So that it becomes the impersonal experience where there's no longer this I that I become associated with. So the I that you were refer referring to earlier of like the self-critic and we're so hard on ourselves, and that would never be a friend of mine. That narrative, that conversation is nonetheless the persona that we think we are that I would assert you're in here incarnated in form so that you can reconcile, learn to love and therefore discard and transcend, which then introduces you to the world of true freedom and liberation, which is emancipation or moksha, which is spiritual enlightenment, where there's no longer this I that is in any way confining or limiting or constraining my true potential, which is boundless. Mm. So good luck with that. Mm. <laughs> and Everybody's going to be rewinding it and go back again, <laughs> rewind, go back yeah. again, listen, unpack, because it's so, you know, it's so natural, it's so embodied for you that it flows out really quickly. Yes. Um, but these concepts are deeper. They're just, they're obviously, and I love that, but yeah. it's it's deeper and it takes a, a new way of thinking, an expanded way of thinking perhaps, yeah. um, to really understand it because you've got to like feel it. How the hell did you get so deep? Because I love it. You mentioned a shift. Maybe it's yeah. maybe going. I don't know if we need to go back to that, or it needs to go further back than 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 the shift that you alluded to. Um, what, what some would call an awakening. Yeah. Um, so start where it feels necessary for you to explain how you got to this understanding of existence. Yeah, and I appreciate that, and I, I I'm not. You know, it's not lost on me the fact that I do tend to download quickly, and I'm you know I'm also understanding the luxury of this is recorded so people do you know it's one of the things that i hear probably the most is like holy shit like that blew my mind like even in instagram stories blew my mind blows my mind blow you know like so i'm downloading by virtue of you know the fact that that's how i speak and also it carries a resonance that makes people have to pay attention if i were to speak in a regular sort of monotone about this and anxiety Oftentimes it occurs to somebody in the way they listen as this, I've heard this before and they can check out. Whereas mm. they're like, hang on a minute, I'm not quite sure what this guy is saying, but it's freaking uber profound. Mm. I need to show up. Mm. So that's one of the reasons that like mm. even in my workshops, like we had a few comments, like a couple of thousand people on this workshop, which was so fun. And a couple of people are like, oh my God, this guy speaks so quick. 
And I'm like, yeah, see, so you have to freaking pay attention. But the luxury part is you can rewind and revisit. And you're always going to listen from a different perspective by virtue of the fact that you evolve when you hear something you've never heard before. And then you will listen from a new place so that when you revisit it, then you get to download. So I don't want to cheat people. So Literally the point of the show for me, literally, is to plant seeds so you can hear something for the first time. And then when you hear it for the second time, that is when you go, huh, you know, I've heard this before. And it sits different because you've already, it's already in there. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So, so that's, you know, just to speak to the dynamic of a podcast and being on your now, show. Did you which learn is, to do that or is this natural and you just realized that was the result? It was natural and I okay. recognize, you know, at a deeper level why it was occurring that way. Okay. So there's, it's like listening to music, you know, like words are vibratory, right? So really this is a vibrational universe. So beyond the words I'm using, there's also a tone that is coming through, which mm-hmm. to your point about, wow, this is so natural to you and whether people actually picked up on that. Now they pick up on that because you spoke to it, but their resonance would have picked up on that. So watching LeBron James do whatever he does or, you know, uh, Nafa Radal, uh, you know, or like Roger Federer, uh, you know, do what they do. It's like it looks effortless by yeah. virtue of the fact that they've done it for so long. So for me now, I've done this for over two decades. So there is an effortlessness that can be aspirational for people, which is also included in the unpacking and the equation of how I'm helping people to evolve is that I don't want to break it down like I'm a teacher because then I also can become quite pretentious. I really mm-hmm. want to be a living example of what is well, possible. You're already British, so that just pretty much gets you halfway there. Exactly. They're <laughs> like, wow, this guy like... No, I'm not. Because <laughs> but... you mentioned something that I had thought about yeah. and then you mentioned it again, so I think we should just talk about it because this has also been on my mind. Okay. And you mentioned frequency and you mentioned resonance and all the stuff. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, all the things. Yeah, all the things. We're going to cut. We're gonna touch all the things today because That's we're talking fast said. enough. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to keep doing that too. That's what she said. Um, so I've been thinking so much about frequency and yeah. uh, the basically the idea that the underlying truth of mm-hmm. a topic or a thought or a person or an event, um, that is your resonance. That's the frequency of the information. Yeah. Now, the words that come out of your mouth <laughs> might not match. And to me, this is part of this mask that's worn. Mm-hmm. And the example I keep giving lately, I tend to spin on the same example because it's really on my mind. But you, know, you hate your boss and you're talking crap about whoever, mm-hmm. him or her. Yeah. And they walk in, you're like, hey, good to see you. How are you doing? Right. Well, now this is a confusing dynamic because you hate them. Right. And you're bothered by them. But yeah. then you're like, good to see you. Yeah. So like we, I think as a culture, are s- required to evolve and also are stepping into living a life that's more embodied and authentic mm-hmm. and doing things that we truly love to do so we don't have to fake it, right? Yeah. Um, but I just think it's an important topic for people to hear because I try and exist imagining that everyone can read my mind. Okay. AKA frequency. Yeah. Right? So like mm-hmm. you have you can't you can't be talking crap about things in your head or thinking something different than what you say. Mm-hmm. And so the emotional level of it and in, in some of the interviews I just done too, it was like the intention, the feeling is really critical when you're going to give a message to someone and have it hit. Yeah. Right? Or mm-hmm. say something. Yeah. Even I love you, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like I love you or like Thank love you. you. Like one or the other, right? Like, (laughs) I really felt that. 
Yeah, I did. I literally put like the the feeling of like a like I yeah. love you know. Yeah. But people say it all the time. It might not be the intention. Might not be there. Um, yeah. So yeah. it could be anything. Yes. Um, so I just think that this is an important concept for people to actually realize matters. Yeah. It's huge. I, I mean, there's a couple of things that I get from what you shared. One, I'm curious why you would, for yourself, because it's a bit of an attell, for me at least, about your relationship to yourself, that you would have the proposition that people can hear what you're saying in your head and that you would walk around planet Earth, you know, to whatever varying degree you slip in and out of that, that that would be a perspective that you carry because you know, that to me sounds a little bit self-defensive, ironically. It sounds at one level very vulnerable, but equally it sounds very protective because it, it, it becomes self, it's a self-conscious narrative, right? Like, so if you're declaring, well, what if everybody could hear everything in my head? It's almost like a discipline or that you're somehow being reprimanded in a way that you're being self-auditing of your own thoughts, Right. Does that make sense? Like, and you're going to have your own rationale as to why you mm -hmm. came up with that. You could equally have something mm -hmm. more poetic and, oh, well, no, I want to be much more conscious of the way that I treat people. And that equally could be a subtle symptom of that. So, so I'm curious to hear why you have that. And then secondly, um, and I love you, <laughs> the, the feeling that comes across with words, I would say is truly what lands more than words, right? Like human beings, unfortunately, one of the predominant qualities of a human being is pretense, is inauthenticity, is lying. And I think that's become incredibly evident with what's going on in the world right now in politics and corporations and pharma and these TV experts. Like, you know, people are fed up like with the lies. Now, mm -hmm. unfortunately, it's a human dynamic. So they also have to look at themselves as opposed to just pointing fingers and go, okay, where am I in my own little sphere, my own garden and my own family, my own office? Where am I still lying? Because lying is a form of self-protection. The first time a child discern the fact that they were in trouble and it didn't feel good because until that point a child a baby particularly doesn't know anything other than full self-acceptance because they don't know that what they're doing is in any way like socially unacceptable or mm -hmm. wrong or bad like no you can throw up on a gucci dress because you're a baby you can poop your pants just after i just changed them because you're a baby like there's this real sense of love and acceptance mm -hmm. but you get to a certain age around two or three usually with the terrible twos that you learn through language that certain activities and behaviors are no longer acceptable. And that's where we learn as human beings the absence of unconditional love. Mm. And that hurts, right? Mm. That's that beginning mm -hmm. of the separation from the womb that is my mom and my family. And so from that point, we start to learn pretense. We start to learn to lie because we now know through self-referral that I got reprimanded once for doing that before. Uh -huh. So now that there's the implication that I've been caught for it again, I'm going to say, no, I didn't. And from that moment at age two, so you better believe that, you know, whoever is this multi-billionaire philanthropist to a doctor to whatever they're talking about, they're just categorically lying, not because they're quote unquote bad people, just because they don't know anything different, because that's what they've done for decades. And it's all about self-preservation with whatever their intention and agenda is. So in the absence of lying, we could say there's vulnerability, there's transparency, there's authenticity, and that lands very different for a human being. So yeah. you could say, no, I love you, or like your point about the boss, and oh, nice to see you. Like that's complete BS, right? But it's, it's, it's preservation. It's wanting to belong in an mm. environment where you feel some sense of potential threat, mm. and therefore I have to put on a facade mm -hmm. in order to make sure that my belonging isn't jeopardized. Because mm. in primal fear, 
when we're when we're chastised and we're kicked out of the gang, we don't survive because the the gang is the the tribe that lives in a cave and has got the food and the fire. And if I'm excommunicated from that group and I'm out there in the wild, this is primal DNA. I'm not going to make it. Right. And so that's still part of our you know nervous system. And so there's going to be this pre this pretense and the way that people make them up, literally, psychologically, emotionally, verbally. We will present ourselves, our ambassador, and we see this all the time on, you know, the first few dates you have with somebody. <laughs> it's like, and then you end up living with someone four months and they're like, what, whatever happened to the guy that used to groom or like take care of himself or be nice to me? You know, it's like the facade has sort of run its course. Ah. So, so is there, uh, so is there a place for it then? Maybe there, maybe the, is there a place for lying? It's. Well, it's it's self-preservation, you know, it might keep you in a job. So, I, But it's still, at the end of the day, it's still going to be to your fundamental demise because until such time that you're tapped into your authentic value, right. then, you know, when you really get who you are as a person, both in terms of your worth, your security, your perspective of belonging, then there's no longer anything to pretend. Right. Because I'm part of the That's gang. The I don't need like a black card. You know, right. I don't need the VIP status right. or status. That's the point. And yeah. so to me, that's the point. So that's it's freedom. not for me about going back to sort of like wondering where that comes from and uh, is there a, a protection going on to think that way about my thoughts being a frequency that has been able to be felt or yeah. acknowledged on a subconscious or emotional emotional body level. Yeah. Um, it's more about uh, using the experience to clean it up. Yeah. And, and so sometimes clean it up might be get out, exit. Yeah. Sometimes it might be, what does this say about me? Mm -hmm. What does this say about something, some aspect of myself that I haven't looked at yet? Yeah. That I haven't healed, that I haven't acknowledged, that I'm denying myself. Yeah. So it's kind of more like a check system of like, I know my underlying feelings that I'm not expressing carry weight. Yes. And I think for you, there's an opportunity within that. Not only like, obviously, I get your commitment to how you show up for other people, which is beautiful. And we could maybe unpack that from childhood. And where did this little girl feel it was incumbent upon her and how she and showed up? We got to go. So it looks like the show's <laughs> over. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally into childhood, child, the childhood work. Yeah. But I, my guess is with the little bit I know about you that like as someone who cares that much, who's self you know, aware, who's done what you've done in the world. That there were moments probably as a little child which is not like you know this isn't like radically different than most people's childhood where they felt it was incumbent upon them in the way that they showed up like you upset mummy or you upset daddy like who heard that or was the parent somewhat codependent on their child because they had a drinking issue or they were a little bit like mercurial in their emotions and the kid was like oh i better behave and i've got to do something to make sure that i keep the peace without knowing anything about your childhood. But that to me would be an extension of that survival mechanism, which you feel it's incumbent upon you that you have some sense of responsibility towards how other people feel. Yeah, yeah. Does that resonate? Sure. Okay. We got tissues? Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Get ready. I'm okay. I <laughs> no, 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 actually I... come to a place where crying is really good. Yeah, it's Like It's beautiful. like I, I welcome in the tears of no, like it, there's a release. Yeah. No, of course. And listen, I'm playing with you. You're awesome. But that that mechanism, Which means and I'm you're awesome. I, yeah, well, <laughs> more awesome. <laughs> Whatever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
that means you're whatever. <laughs> so, so being able to recognize, and I'm glad that resonates, like, you know, you're obviously a sweetheart, but I would wonder how that manifests in personal relationships for you, because oftentimes for the feminine, there is a little extra pressure in the way that the woman will become increasingly tolerant of the way that the man shows up, almost mm -hmm. like it, because of the nature of nurturing that is very feminine, mm -hmm. tending to hold a space that is beyond something that is healthy. And this is something that I help a lot right. of women with where they're oftentimes in relationships, it doesn't have to be romantic, it could be family, it could be also business, because like the tendency is to want to be nurturing because that's primal, but then over nurturing as a compensation maybe for their own lack of feeling of worth. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be romantic, it could be in families, it could be in the workplace where there is this bandwidth that, that overextends itself. So tolerance becomes like a place where now it's no longer healthy, it's no longer authentic, it's a compensation, it's a survival mechanism where the woman is doing what she feels she should, either because she sees potential or she's being self-protective, she doesn't feel safe, she doesn't feel held by the masculine. Mm -hmm. And invariably, and sad to say, that is incredibly commonplace. And so, you know, the degree to which you have learned in yourself, just by virtue of maybe being in an environment as a child, that like, okay, I don't wanna do anything to rock the boat, I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to do anything wrong. I don't want to be a bad girl. These are all very common narratives for children mm -hmm. that nonetheless manifest in adults where it becomes a mechanism for self-preservation. So your self-reflection, which we could say is beautiful, and it really is, really speaks to me in a way that it shows that you perhaps have become a little bit too responsible in the way that you think you're accountable for other people's wellness or their happiness. Yeah. Or So does that... 100% accurate. Okay, yeah. good. I'm, I'll keep up my day job. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So now, so then and, if we could, uh, like, just for a minute, like, yeah, just because please. you're awesome, the fact that that's 100% accurate in the way that I'm speaking to it about you, can you share how does that leave you feeling just to bring a little extra awareness about yeah. it? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing that comes up is that, you know, I'm abandoning myself. Correct. Uh, in doing Super that. Super accurate. I'm abandoning really the inner child. Yes. Um, that uh, it, it's inner child work. It's, it's, it's out of integrity. I'm now not in integrity with myself yeah. by abandoning myself to take care of someone else. Yes. Even though I think I'm doing it for them and it's great and it's for me, it's not. It's yeah. like I lose myself. And so for me, that says <laughs> that I don't know my boundaries yet. I don't have mm -hmm. my own personal boundary, which is something I had to learn a lot about in the last year. Yeah. Because uh, I always thought boundaries were for someone else. Like, don't do that to me. Yeah. And then what I realized, at least from from in my mind, was that the boundary was actually for myself, like how yeah. far I'm willing to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the first thing that comes Amazing. Up. Beautiful. It's super accurate. And I know I want you just to feel it. So the abandonment. So even if you were to look at it third person, if you were to abandon someone that you loved, if you abandon a daughter, a child, mm. how would that feel for you? Yeah. How would you feel knowing? So beyond the expression of how you might respond to the abandonment, if you abandon your child, then of course, there's going to be a natural proclivity to come back towards them. But let's forget that for now. If you felt like you suddenly woke up and go, oh, my God. I've completely abandoned my child. How would that hit you? I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've really gone there before. I don't think I've really ever right. felt, I'm, I'm just being honest, like yeah. I don't, wouldn't do that. Right. 
I understand, but this is also beautiful because invariably when people ask what are they going to get from working with me, I say you don't know until you go through it. So actually what we're touching on is uh-huh. something that has become so normalized for you, yeah, yeah. you don't know how to access it, yeah, which is beautiful. That means it. we're right up against it. Yeah. Because this is your world. Like I use the expression, I would say if you were born with blue tinted glasses on, uh-huh. how would life look to you? Right. How, so what, blue tint, every, I mean... Everything would look... Everything would look blue. Perfect, right? (laughs) So now, this is the aha moment. If you were born with blue tinted glasses, Uh nothing would look blue Uh because that was all you've ever known. Right. Right? Right. So that's the aha. Right, so right here, I'm... So right here, what we're up against is that you don't know... the blue tint that I don't know I have on. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? But that's Mm. why I want you to feel it, especially as a woman, because women are much more um, available to their own emotions and feelings, is Mm -hmm. if you could feel like you said it, you said it perfectly. I've abandoned myself in the process of trying to protect myself. It looks like I'm being more considerate of the other person, which is actually about self-preservation, going back to the child that didn't want to get in trouble, didn't want to upset mom, whatever it is. And so actually you're abandoning your own self in the process of self-survival. Now, once you see that, there's got to be some feeling of something. Not like there has to be like I'm forcing it, but when you really wake up and go, wow, I have truly, because without going through every item of your romantic relationships and where there was hostility or there was hardship or there was you know, derogatory ex- at your expense, you know, there was abuse of some form, and abuse is a big word, but like it could be the way someone spoke to you. Like that's the abandonment of yourself. So if you mm-hmm. could, you know, if you could collapse all of these experiences, yeah. there's going to be something there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what? What? I, I mean, the... I get. I I think you're right. There's 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 some sort of imaginary wall between these existences of of me being able to truly feel. It's it, maybe this is it. I don't know. Um, this is the process of healing to be able to feel for the abandoned child, abandoned yes. inner self, yes. the inner child. Yeah. Like if I'm, if that's, if being that way and I said, it's a, I feel like that'd be abandoning. Yeah. What would it feel like to abandon someone? You're asking that if I could cre- understand that feeling, if I could start to access that feeling, I would now create the relationship with the inner child because that's exactly what I've done to it. Yes. And it gets a little deeper because you're also the inner child. So there's not only the experience of a woman who is denying her own needs, her own worth, the way that people treat her, which is the abandonment of self, but there's the experience of that which is abandoned within you, meaning the little girl. So the mother that she adores, that she doesn't know what she's done wrong to feel abandoned by, she also has an experience. Yes. One of the things that I've done in the last year to um, bridge that gap a little bit because it seems easier, like, oh, I can handle crap. I can handle yeah. being treated like shit. I can handle all the yeah. whatever emotional abuse or anything that's gone on um, is to imagine the way that someone's treating me. Would I ever let them treat my little girl like that? Yeah. And I imagine that to be my inner child. Yes. And so I somewhat disassociate from it, even though I know it's me. Yes. It's easier to access the ability to treat myself properly if I imagine that it's a little girl in me. Yes, of course. And that's another protection mechanism. Right. So look at the words you use. Like, I can handle the emotional abuse and whatever it is. Like, yeah, and people might describe you as like, oh, no, she's awesome. She's tough would probably be a word. And you look at your career. 
and the fact that you're competing against guys and in a sport that is, you know, all of the things, right? Like that speaks to somebody whose persona has become, you know, very robust, but that doesn't speak to what's beneath it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm like, mm -hmm. like picking away mm -hmm. at very gently here and you're doing a great job and I know it's a podcast, but like, you know, there great. is... <laughs> I'm okay. I'm super open. I, no, no, I mean, it's not a no, fear it, at all. It's it's beautiful. So. So I still want to come back to what does it feel like? Because, you know, the, there's a little bit of like deflection here when you recognize that you have feelings, right? And I'm not talking in a woo-woo kind of kumbaya, but you're a sentient being. You're a woman, mm -hmm. you know, and an extraordinary woman and a, an accomplished woman and a caring woman. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. degree to which all of that gets kind mm -hmm. of pushed to one side because you can handle the abuse. Mm -hmm. As I tell people, just because it's familiar doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's healthy. Right. And totally. So, yeah. So, so can you just, even if it's a word or two, if you recognize the degree to which you've discarded some of your own, like, care of self, what would that leave you feeling? To recognize, wow, I have completely, in ways that is not like your fault, but it is your responsibility is the way I say it. Like, it's an unconscious right. process. It's the blue right. tinted glasses you didn't know. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to feel shame or guilt. Mm -hmm. But once you see it and go, mm -hmm. wow, I've really disregarded my needs over and mm -hmm. over and over. Mm -hmm. Like, how does that hit you when you really see it? Like, negligent. Like, yeah. um, uh, uh, abusive in the opposite way that I express it. Yeah. Right? It's avoidant. Yeah. It's disassociative. Yeah. Even though I express more on the side of codependency or or the anxious attachment or the wanting or diving in or yeah. unpacking, talking. Mm -hmm. It's actually inside of myself, it feels like it is the opposite side of the spectrum, which is the same whole as yeah. we've kind of been expressing. And it would be like I've disassociated with myself. And so it feels um, that's why it's so hurtful because that's exactly what I do to myself. There you go. So there's, a, there's now you've used a word that I want, which is it's hurtful. Because all the words, you're super articulate, but they're all they're a little bit still from here up, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm just wanting to get a little bit closer mm -hmm. to this thing, which mm -hmm. you have a huge one mm -hmm. of. But really, that's the first glimpse you've given me. It's hurtful. Mm -hmm. Like, and yeah. as much as you can say, I can handle mm -hmm. the emotional abuse of whatever boyfriend this or male that or it doesn't even have to be male but you get the point i'm sure if i were a fly on the wall of your life i would have witnessed a lot mm -hmm. that is hurtful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you've learned to protect mm -hmm. yourself and be okay with it mm -hmm. even though you're not actually okay with it energetically right. and physiologically it will manifest in different ways over time you know you're still young and healthy but over time that's what becomes dis-ease you know manifest physiologically because of the absence of ease in our system because we're actually hurt and hurts, bedfellow is also fear, scared. Yeah. So that little girl who's protected herself by virtue of becoming tough and resilient is actually hurt and scared. Yeah. She's hurt from a past event that was tough, and mm -hmm. now she's scared of its repetition. Mm -hmm. So hurt is great. Can you find like where there might be the scared, the fear, the concern, the anxiety, the apprehension? Sad. Sad for sure. Like, yeah. Uh, worthless. Yeah. Worthless is very, you know, it's a, it's an adult way of saying like there's a feeling of like I'm not special, yeah. I'm not loved, I'm not yeah. wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all yeah. of that belongs to that little girl, yeah. right? So you're doing awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, unimportant, like yeah. you know, kind of the somewhat of the inner child work that I've done uh, associating with her 
um, is that she was like, I'm going to be really descriptive. It's going to be sound That's pretty, right. maybe weird to people. Yeah. Um, maybe not to you because you probably heard everything. But I imagine <laughs> that this inner child, the little girl in me was like, it was as if she was like, sorry, I have to close my eyes, but it's very visual for me. Yeah. Um, is like up in a tower, like a dome. And mm. she was inside of the dome and it was like a concrete dome with like just a tiny little hole to see the light. And there was no access. There was like no getting to it. It was like, you know, there's some childhood fictitious story, right, about being up in the tower. Yeah. And then later on, she came down and it was as if she was at the bottom of the tower now. And she was like standing at the doorway, um, but still quiet, always really quiet, no words. Yeah. Because it, like there, it was almost the feeling I got from it was that there was no, it didn't matter anyway. Like there was no point. There was nobody was listening. Right. Um. And then it was as if she finally got taller and like mm. stood next to me. Um, and then I had a recent experience where I was looking to talk to her as I talked to my higher self, my inner child, my soul, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and she has her name. Her name is Lucy. And I went to go talk to her and she was like, uh, she, I said, I hadn't talked to you in a while. How are you doing? And I know this probably sounds so weird to people, but then she was like, that's okay. We're merging. And I was like, what? And then all of a sudden... She goes, but you can talk to me anytime you want, just like this. And then all of a sudden, this other aspect somewhere else says, this is oneness. Like true oneness is the embodiment of your higher self or your soul or your inner child or whatever you want to call it with the you so that you're totally embodied in, mm -hmm. in, your, in your life every day, how you live it, what you say, how you feel. Yeah. Anyway, so that's been like the evolution of my inner child work so far. Beautiful and very powerful images, right? Like you look at some of the things like mm -hmm. so height, like extended away yeah. from the ground, like uh -huh. you're separated. Mm -hmm. Concrete is the word you use. It's yeah. not like it was a dome that was made of yeah. linen. Concrete, so right. there's a level of protection and isolation. Mm -hmm. And the second law of thermodynamics speaks to any isolated object is by virtue of the fact that it's isolated. You think of like in a correction facility, they put them in solitary confinement. That is the ultimate form of isolation. And there is going yeah. to be this deleterious effect over time. You start mm -hmm. to lose your mind. You have no sense of belonging. So this is where the hurt is and where you also gave a huge tell when you said, you know, and she came down and she, was, she didn't have anything to say. She was very quiet. Mm -hmm. And you said, because what's the point? No one's going to listen anyway. That speaks to the dismissiveness that she experienced, right? Mm -hmm. that, and there's no value there. There's no sense of importance. There's mm -hmm. no sense of love. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not curious to hear what my child has to say is the experience, mm -hmm. right? Now you're starting to feel it. Mm -hmm. And this is like the mom that I spoke of at the Hawaii retreat where mm -hmm. she wasn't listening to her son. She was at least doing a quote-unquote better job superimposing her version of superiority or love to, upon him, yeah. but he still wasn't being gotten. Yeah. Yours was obviously very different where... As often the case, children are to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, I see a little bit of water behind the eyes where mm -hmm. you can see perhaps now, mm -hmm. wow, that little girl was really just disregarded. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to not be loved. It's another thing to feel not wanted. Mm -hmm. Very mm -hmm. similar, but they're very powerfully mm -hmm. different because not being loved is mm -hmm. one thing. Not being wanted has got a form and an energy of disregard. It's removing. You can be there and not be loved, but if you're not wanted, then you actually feel displaced. Now that's a different breath, right? Mm -hmm. So there's something energetically that mm -hmm. just got released. So that mm -hmm. I'm guessing is going to be part of your experience is that at times that little girl who I guarantee you is a sweetheart, 
very shy, very creative, very sensitive, but felt the experience of not being wanted.、Mm-hmm. Is my guess.、Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is actually like I mean. Again, it's super honest, but this has been actually—I always thought it was my dad that I was getting all the problems from,、yeah. but it's my mom. Yeah, that's what I was picking up on. I mean, just in recent experiences of like things that have gone on, and oh no, I'm going to cry on you. Yeah, it's beautiful. But it was like it's okay. This is beautiful. Like I realized that this、yeah. is the wound. Like I've had to have my own back. My whole life, because my mom would just watch my dad yell at me, and she would never say anything. And here I am at thirty-eight, and I'm still like, I still、okay. need love, right? It's not different now than it was before.、Right. It's just I can see it now. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, you know,、yeah. like my dad was hard on me, so I found guys that were hard on me, and then I abandoned myself. Yeah. Which is exactly what my mom like would do to me emotionally. And it's the thing is, is that it's actually not her fault. No. It was her upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember asking her this summer. I was like, "Are did you ever get to have feelings as a kid?" And she was like, "No, no." So no. I know it's not even her fault.、Yeah. But this is the problem, right? This is the pattern of. This is where you have to break the cycle, right? Is that someone has to stop doing the same thing that's been done to the their parents because it's done to them. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Before I answer your question, <laughs> I just want to say thank you. Like, really, this means the world to me. Like that, you can feel safe enough to go here, and we were like, like skirting the edge there for a while, right? And and、yeah. you, you, you know, I don't want to sound cheesy, but you're so beautiful in all of this, right? And I want you to really hear that, and it's going to be reflected, I'm sure, like thousands of times by people who witness the bravery and the courage of who you're being right now, because everybody's got their version. So I feel super flattered and honored that I could be a man holding a space for you in this beautiful expression of what's really real for you and the neglect that has been there through no one's fault. This is not about your、right. mum being a bad person.、Right. She was doing the best she could. What's her? What's what's her name? First Bev. name? Bev. So Bev was doing the best she could within the level of her awareness and conditioning. Right. right? So that's why there's no fault. There is nonetheless the impact. Of her inability to hold space to protect her own child, what I want you to recognize is you became your mum, right? So the neglect that you experience is the language that you learned in the way that you speak of the fact that you could tolerate any kind of abuse, and you just said it like the men that you would attract have to reflect. It looks like it's a mirror of your father, which in the male female dynamic it is going to be right because that's what you're comfortable with. Like、mm-hmm. I said earlier. If people remember, I said just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's healthy. Yeah. But it's familiar.、Right. Now, why this is so beautiful and why I feel so privileged to be able to hold a space of love and acceptance for you and to be able to articulate language so that we can penetrate this, is that now you literally get to be a different woman. And as you said, you get to change this sort of genetically inherited, this emotionally inherited,、right. this pattern inherited. That you now can become a woman who recognizes the importance of making space for another. Now, ironically, you are doing it strategically. Is like you're aware of your thoughts and your resonance and your frequency. So you were doing it, but that was a way of surviving. It wasn't authentic. Authentic is actually making space for your negative thoughts because then you make space for the other person's negative thoughts, making space for your heartfelt feelings. Sure. 
See, it's the opposite. It's ironic. The, the intention is the same, but love is the container for all of it. Mm. Whereas you were being the perfected, the curated child in the way that you had to behave, you had to tolerate, you had to be tough. Okay, I'm going to have a boyfriend who's going to be rough, but it's okay, I can handle it. Mm -hmm. So if we want to go back full circle and why this conversation is so profound for people who are tracking at home is because your incarnation, as far as I'm concerned, is so profound because it's for you to recognize what does it mean to truly come from a position of love that includes you mm -hmm. because you've loved. Mm -hmm. But as I say often to women, love occurs to them as they put their arms out and they embrace everyone, even in the face of abuse, like physical, verbal, sexual, whatever. But no, I must love more. And oftentimes that is the antidote, right? It's like, oh, maybe I'm not loving enough. I have to love more. And then it becomes exhausting. Whereas what I want you to understand is love, not just your arms around the world and everybody who's important to you, but love has arms around you also a physical action I've done in the last year too. Like mm -hmm. literally this, Yeah. like holding, like yeah. not metaphorically, literally, but yeah. implying the metaphor of holding myself. Yeah. Amazing. What a, what a powerful moment to, to <laughs> share with you. I'm so, so mm. blessed. So now what, now we can access a little bit more of the feeling because we saw it, right? Mm -hmm. So not only is it sad, it's hurtful, it's scary. But there's a feeling also I would want you to look at, and I'm not going to lead the witness here, but it's tiring. You know, it's exhausting because that little girl that you're trying to compensate for in the manner with which you withhold and you withstand abuse or the fact that you try to go above and beyond for other people is itself exhausting, no? Yeah. Can you see that? Yeah. Well, you end up, usually what happens is that you put out, put out that energy I, I say for so I, long. So, so it's more powerful. Uh, I put that energy out for so long that eventually I feel I can feel the underappreciation. Yeah. Nobody asked for how much I was doing, but no. I guess maybe I'm underappreciating myself. So That's, I'm feeling underappreciated. Yeah. Because so I'm giving more than is even asked. Yeah. So the quote that I just put up on my Instagram recently, you know, says, until you love and respect yourself, what makes you think anyone else should? And that's a hard thing for people to swallow. Now, I'm not saying that people couldn't love you. You know, uh -huh. I might change it to what, until you love and respect yourself, what makes you think anyone else will, you know, because the energetics that you have, the dismissal that you experienced through your mom was a perfect energetic mirror for the soul incarnation that you have because that's what you've been doing to yourself. Totally. And then you had the audacity, no fault, and I'm using a big word, but, you know, to think it was because of her. Okay, well, you're looking at Bev, God bless her, doing the best she can. But you have for decades been doing the same thing to yourself. Totally. Exactly. And then, the but hypocrisy. Now it's a, right. But now it's a blind spot, <laughs> so there's no blame for either of you. But now there can be that joyous laugh of like, right. wow, that's just ridiculous. Right. Like, I'm looking for other right. people to give me the reassurance, the love, the affection, yeah. the value that I don't give myself. Right. Good luck with that. <laughs> Totally. So now, for the first time ever, I'm going to make a bold statement. You actually have available to you the possibility of love that you've never experienced before mm. from other mm. because you're learning to find that for yourself. Mm -hmm. What a gift mm. to not just to yourself, but to them, too, because now they get the capacity to love in a way that they didn't know was available to them. And I don't think there's a greater gift you can give someone than the ability to help them see how loving they can be. Mm. But as long as you're too busy protecting yourself and you're okay with the rough and tumble of what's going on because you've become accustomed to it, again, familiar, not healthy, tolerance, now 
you know, there's no room for anyone to really love you because you're not actually available to it because you're too busy protecting yourself and having the narrative that you don't actually deserve it anyway because that's what you became accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was the language driving you. This is work that almost like nobody does. No. Thank God it's becoming more familiar though. Yes. Yeah. Do you think, by the way, we're still sitting here and I'm, we're, I'm going to tie you to that chair. We're going to get to your moment <laughs> okay. um, for sure because I want to hear that because I feel like it will, it's, in, it's in very, I'm in very intrigued to hear what that was. Mm. Um, but uh, do you think that that is what is going to ascend our species consciously is this ability to access those wounds, heal, yeah. Yeah. become whole? I mean, is this part of our evolution as a species? I would assert or it's the only reason one? we're here. You know, like the way, I've, I've, the way I've stated it in other podcasts, I said it's the only real game in town. Mm -hmm. The game most people play is like, I want to amass a little bit more wealth. I ideally want to get a bit more status, you know, get a little bit more prestige. I want to have a bigger home. That's the human game. But the real game is spiritual evolution. Mm -hmm. And that's why you will constantly attract, as I said, the people and circumstances to trigger that part of you that we just mm -hmm. very beautifully revealed until such time that you break out of it and you get out of this concrete dome in your case and you mm -hmm. come down and play and you share and you love. And if mm -hmm. things hurt, you don't engage. You know, if somebody doesn't recognize your worth then you don't engage, like they may be doing the best they can. It doesn't have to be judgment, yeah. but you recognize their hurt is now being reflected. And that's not something that you have to tolerate anymore, mm. which is just beautiful for you. Like literally, again, it sounds a little bit grandiose, but by virtue of the fact that you have energetically just with me reconciled, relinquished some of this deep pain, yeah. the world just became a healthier place. Mm. Now, do you get that energetically? Yeah. Because again, going yeah. back to the entanglement mm -hmm. theory that everything is interconnected, yep. then if you have 8 billion people on a planet of which 5 billion are in pain, and that's generous, you know, it's probably 7.9 a billion are in pain. But the fact that you just nudged the needle towards an energy of love and acceptance and reverence mm -hmm. is itself healing for everybody. Yeah. And yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. How do you feel in your body? Do you feel a little, like when I pointed out that breath, there was a release, yeah. but do you feel a little lighter? Do you feel a little more relaxed? Do you feel? Yeah, I feel hopeful. Okay. I feel hopeful. I feel yeah. um, brave. Yeah. And feel... do you see a different opportunity with Bev? Yeah. This is a little early, so I'm rushing the mm -hmm. process a little mm -hmm. bit just because you're a big processor. Mm -hmm. but... um, so what could you see as the opportunity prior, you know, we'll call it, you know, PC before BC, <laughs> after <laughs> BC. BC. Well, B, BC. it's Bev. <laughs> BC. Yeah. Um, before being before being crone, BC. <laughs> oh, before crone, <laughs> Bev and crone, they both go together. Yes. Um, so before there was obviously a certain yeah. narrative that you carried. Like yeah. I said, the relationship is, of Bev is in you, not over there. Yeah. So you were carrying a particular dialogue about oh, yeah. Bev. Yeah. So now I can see her for that. Now I can meet her there. Yeah. So what would have been so that the audience can follow because they're going to, I promise you, have their version of Bev where they're making someone wrong in their life. So I'm leading you a little bit, but you were in ways that you didn't perhaps know were making her wrong. There's an underlying judgment energy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do you think that feels for Bev? Mm. To be judged? Yeah. Like she probably has to be protective. She of probably, I'm sure she feels, yeah. 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 And it just doesn't feel good, right? Yeah. To be wronged by somebody, right. especially her own daughter. 
I think my dad said she said sorry like three times in their marriage, and they've been married since 1980. Yeah. So. Yeah. So <laughs> like again, <laughs> in terms of breaking that lineage, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, you get the opportunity maybe be the one to say sorry. Yeah. Which seems completely juxtaposed to the way that you were viewing it before, which right. is Bev was the perpetrator and you were the victim. Mm -hmm. But what if Bev didn't know to do that because Bev's functioning within the realm that's available to her? Sure. That's different, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, we're going real deep. Oh, yeah. These are these are all the really like deeper, which is the roots. Like this is the implied yeah. roots of the problem, right? Yeah. Well, and why it's, it's powerful. And it's now I give her access to being able to feel what I've just felt essentially on some level. So you get to not only break the lineage of this pattern of dysfunction, but you also get to reverse time, like, you know, time reversal symmetry going in both directions, past and future. Mm -hmm. So you also get to help her heal from her heritage yeah, in a way mm -hmm. that she's never had someone show up for her because it's always been her fault. That's all she knows. And she feels it from her own daughter. Mm -hmm. So she's isolated. She's got her concrete dome. Mm. And you get the opportunity as a bigger being that you are now by virtue of the fact that you just literally expanded in front of her everybody yeah. to hold a space of real love which isn't about like victimhood because what you were saying which is the pretense is a lie is that i'm a victim of bev's behavior right. and that diminishes you and it also holds her accountable to something she could never be accountable for right. that's powerful drop the mic there isn't one but you can drop it <laughs> <laughs> Drop the mic so and beautiful. pick up a blanket. That was so good. I'm not yeah. going to cut that out either. That's just so important for people to like hear that process yeah, and hear what you do. I mean, and hear what's possible. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.